Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Lowe. Healthcare experts are predicting a nearly 50% increase in cervical cancer cases in the United States if more people are not encouraged to get the human papillomavirus vaccine. Dr. Andrea Taylor, an assistant professor of nursing, is the co-author of research into a way to increase awareness among primary care physicians so that they can drive the point home to their patients. The article was published earlier this year in the academic journal, The Nurse Practitioner. We'll find out about this study after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Through Monday, November 1st, the June Anderson Center for Women and Non-Traditional Students is engaged in collecting bras for the Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Center in Murfreesboro in observance of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. The center will accept donations of new brassieres with tags and without underwires and boxes placed in room 330 in the Student Union Building, room 212 in the Keithley University Center, the Student Lounge of the Ellington Human Sciences Building, and at Phillips Bookstore. The goal is to collect 100 bras that will help women whose undergarments are confiscated for evidence in criminal cases and for women who enter the shelter with nothing but the clothes they are wearing. And an instructor in MTSU's popular language learning program is presenting a dynamic way to alleviate stress, gain greater flexibility, and have fun doing it. The Center for Accelerated Language Acquisition, known as CALA, will present six lessons in Bollywood dance, a fusion style used in films from the nation of India via access to videos. In this CALA course, the instructor will lead students through the movements and steps and the ancient cultures and traditions that make the dance unique. The course is designed for students of any age, ability, and gender. Course fees are $95 for the public, $85 for MTSU faculty, staff, and alumni, and $75 for MTSU students plus K-12 students and teachers. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Andrea, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start out by describing what the human papillomavirus is, how people get it, and what makes it so potentially deadly. HPV virus is contracted through sexual intercourse, and it is particularly deadly because it is the virus known to cause so many different types of cancers. Many um, Americans know that it can lead to cervical cancer, but studies have also related different strains of HPV to other cancers, cancers of the cervix, cancers of the uh, penis, cancers of the rectum. Um, so it's deadly because about eight out of 10 people are predicted to contract HPV at some point in their lifetime. People are trying to make, especially teenagers these days, more aware of it. Uh, when I was a teenager, it, it wasn't even mentioned uh, in or out of school, in biology class, anywhere. But uh, it's, it seems that increasing awareness of HPV, HPV is a relatively recent health promotion uh, campaign, is it not? Um, I would say in the last couple of dec decades, we've understood um, more thoroughly how much HPV impacts our health. And 
in comparison to other vaccines, it is a newer vaccine, um, but they've, they continue to study and find that we wanna promote it in teenagers because if the vaccine is received prior to exposure to the virus, it's gonna offer a better level of protection from the effects of the virus. You and your colleagues use the health promotion model created by a nursing theorist named Nola L. Pender. How does this model work? What is its premise? So Nola Pender suggests that it's more important to focus on healthcare prevention and promotion. Let's tackle this before it becomes an issue rather than waiting for the issue to present itself and then address the consequences of the problem. So she encourages um, health promotion and vaccines are primary prevention. It's a way to prevent the virus from having consequences on the body. Tell us something about the facility where you put this model into practice. Sure, it's a local multi-specialty practice um, that has physicians that practice in internal and family medicine as well as pediatrics. Um, I was able to meet with physicians from both groups. At the time, it was a smaller practice than what it has grown to today. At the time, there were the clinic employed 80 physicians and 40 nurse practitioners and physician assistants. And what were the results? So the goal was to double the vaccine in each um, internal and family medicine as well as in pediatrics. And we were able to do that in internal and family medicine. Um, four weeks prior to the intervention, um, internal and family medicine administered 13 HPV vaccines and post-intervention, 42 vaccines were administered. Pediatrics increased the vaccines um, from 137 to 241 vaccines post-intervention. And so your conclusion from this is that this particular model is a very efficient one for getting primary care physicians to uh, be very proactive in uh, trying to prevent HPV. Absolutely, and the research that I found supported that to be effective in administering these vaccines, providers recommendation, um, a strong provider recommendation is what was required to be successful in these results. So educating the providers so that they felt confident in making a strong recommendation. Providers have a heavy burden um, needing to understand all the available resources and educating themselves continually on how to take best care of their patients. Most providers will agree that primary prevention is key, but in order for them to make that recommendation, they want to know as much as they can about that vaccine. So I provided a safe learning environment for them to educate them on the vaccine, to educate them that their simple recommendation to a patient or a parent of a patient is what was key in increasing these vaccination rates. If, if you're a physician or any kind of a healthcare practitioner, really, it's all about continuing education. You, your education does not stop after you get the degree or the, or the certificate or you've completed your residency. There's always something new to keep abreast of, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're required to complete continuing education, both formally and informally. Um, there's just such a vast amount of information out there for primary care providers that 
giving them an environment that was easily accessed. You know, it was at their working facility during a routine meeting. Um, and then being a colleague, they were able to ask me questions that they might have had about the vaccine. We'll take a break here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. TERA wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to TERA, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle East Center at MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about the human papillomavirus and ways to get primary care physicians to uh, be more proactive in encouraging their patients to uh, get the vaccine. Dr. Andrea Taylor is our guest. She's an assistant professor of nursing. Why do you think people respond to encouragement from primary care physicians more so than literature or the other means of communicating the importance of the vaccine? Well, a relationship between a patient and provider is just that. It's a trusted relationship. You go to them about all of your healthcare concerns and healthcare questions, and you trust that they're going to provide you with guidance specific to you as an individual, whereas literature is more of a broad um, in vague recommendation, you don't have that relationship with an author of an article. And if you heard it from some other healthcare professional, like a physician's assistant or a nurse, it wouldn't necessarily carry the same weight? Um, I think it depends on the relationship between the nurse, the physician assistant, and the patient. Several patients opt to uh, seek primary care from a physician's assistant, nurse practitioner, um, so it really just involves the trust and the relationship that's been developed. I do feel that patients ultimately look to their healthcare provider, the one that um, can perform, can order medications, can order lab testing. Um, I do believe that patients respect their educational level. Um, and so they're going to take the recommendation. And I Research shows that there's so many influences to a patient's decision, whether it's through a blog or through social media, but ultimately the relationship with the provider is going to be key. And people usually develop this relationship with this uh, primary care physician. People used to call them general practitioners. I don't know if they still do. Uh, it, they want this relationship to last over a period of time because this physician has the entire history from soup to nuts of this individual's everything that they have gone through in their lifetime. And uh, they want to make sure that if, if you know they're in a PPO or an HMO or whatever, that their provider is in their network. Otherwise, they don't want that kind of insurance. They want to hang on to this particular doctor, right? Absolutely. Primary care providers 
provide that holistic care from head to toe, we don't focus on one specialty, we focus on the whole body. And do you think the importance of the HPV vaccination has, I don't know, uh, sort of become buried under the emphasis on COVID-19 vaccines since the pandemic, um, uh, not only since the pandemic broke out, but since the pandemic and the vaccines and the mask mandates have become uh, unfortunately politicized in some quarters? It's my hope that if anything, it's brought immunizations to the forefront of discussion with their providers. So while HPV may not be um, a particular individual's priority at this time, I do feel that immunizations as a whole is a bigger discussion. Um, and hopefully it'll open that door for the provider to, provider to recommend, well, these are the immunizations your child is due for, or as a young adult, these are the immunizations you are due for. Let's do these today and we can follow up on future immunizations at your next appointment. I've seen public service announcements on television in which people have said that, unfortunately, because of all the emphasis on COVID, people aren't necessarily paying attention to things like getting screened for certain types of cancer and such. And um, it, it, instead, there, there seems to be uh, so much focus on COVID and rightfully so, that uh, people are, are getting tunnel vision and they're not taking a holistic approach to all these other aspects of their own personal health care. And that's why I was just curious about whether or not uh, it was, it had become more difficult to promote the HPV vaccine in light of all this. I think the HPV vaccine being around longer than the COVID vaccine plays a role. Um, I think that like I said previously, it does open the door for discussion of immunizations as a whole. Mm -hmm. And regardless, all the research out there supports a strong provider recommendation can increase vaccine adherence. And, you know, I haven't done enough research on the COVID vaccine and what allows that to be successful. But mm -hmm. again, there and again, as long as the provider is educated and able to explain to the patient why they believe they should receive a particular vaccine, Mm -hmm. Again, it just opens the discussion. Could the health promotion model be used to encourage other vaccinations or uh, important health practices in addition to the uh, HPV vaccine? Absolutely. You know, this research can move forward and show that a strong provider recommendation can increase any vaccine adherence. Um, again, this research was conducted pre-COVID vaccine era. Um, but I would hope that there's a nurse researcher out there that's going to do studies on this and show that absolutely a strong provider recommendation continues even with newer vaccines. This particular promotion model is not uh, uniquely effective in promoting HPV. It can be adapted to different types of healthcare uh, procedures, right? Absolutely. It focuses on primary prevention. So as you mentioned before, screenings, um, seeing your primary care provider for an annual checkup. Um, she's all about promoting on the front end so that we don't have the consequences to have to face from um, lack of healthcare promotion. Yeah. Uh, was there a sense prior to this research that primary care physicians had not been assertive enough or diligent enough in promoting the HPV vaccine? Or is there 
uh, scant research on that. I had a difficult time finding it specifically to HPV in the research, but from a clinical standpoint, um, it seems to be a little bit of a hot or a touchy subject to address. Um, I know part of my passion that drove me to researching this was raising sons. I wanted to fully understand the benefit to my children before I made an educated decision on whether or not to vaccinate my sons. Um, and so I think just educating as a whole, this is how it can apply to your particular family member that you love dearly, um, is, is key. When it comes to, to uh, sex education and disease prevention, there seems to be so much emphasis on the female. We, we don't take into consideration sometimes that uh, the male can be at risk and male teenagers can be at risk. And this is, this is part of the awareness that you're trying to increase, right? Absolutely. You know, it's not just a matter of, I don't want my son to give his future wife a virus that might cause cervical cancer. It's, I can hopefully help prevent cancer in my own children. Um, you know, it'll prevent them from contracting the virus. And I would love a perfect world of everybody waiting till marriage. But unfortunately, you know, we have to do what we can to protect um, our children, you know, our friends, our colleagues um, from this. And it just seems to me, I, I guess, common sense that if there's something out there that can help you prevent cancer, that we should all be first in line asking for it. Is there anybody who should not get the HPV vaccination? Um, of course, it depends on the individual patient, but I'm thinking in terms of side effects or pre-existing conditions that might be uh, counterproductive or counterintuitive. Sure. So any patient with a known allergy to yeast, um, it is not recommended to receive that vaccine or of course, any ingredients in the HPV vaccine, but yeast would be the one as a provider that it's important to stress. And these would be questions, of course, that any thinking primary care physician would go through and screen for in discussing it with the patient. Absolutely. We'll take another break here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of FIRE. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. NTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest NTSU news and information, go to ntsunews.com. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. 
I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, Wise Advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Our guest is Dr. Andrea Taylor. She's an assistant professor of nursing and co-author of a study about ways to increase uh, awareness of the human papilloma virus vaccine among primary care physicians and encouraging them to encourage their patients to get protected. Are, are there other related studies that you think uh, where researchers could use your report as a jumping off point to do related types of studies? Absolutely. I think expanding it into a different patient population would be excellent. Um, even using this as a jumping off point to studying COVID vaccine adherence, recognizing that educating providers to make a strong recommendation. Um, I would love to see someone move forward with that research to see if that is going to make a key difference in increasing our vaccination rates in the United States. Um, it will be good to moving forward, look back at the same clinic setting and see if with the addition of new providers, is there a need for repeated education um, to educate the newer providers or will current providers um, educate as part of the training process? So you think maybe uh, longitudinal studies would be beneficial over periods of months or years? Yes, ma'am. Longitudinal studies would be very helpful. I don't know if uh, this is a question you can answer. It doesn't really come within the purview of your particular study, but I'm curious as to when we started to become so antsy about vaccines. Uh, Of course, there's the little kid who doesn't want a needle stuck in their arm and cries when they go to the pediatrician and, you know, all the, and some people have a fear of needles even into adulthood, but with some people it's, it's more than that. And I'm, I'm talking about just any vaccine. Personally, I'm grateful my mother took me to the physician to get all my shots. Of course, they were required for school, but I, I took the oral polio vaccine. Nobody fussed about it. Nobody raised cane, to the best of my knowledge. Why is this sort of vaccine phobia uh, occurring in some folks these days? I think vaccine phobia is multifactorial. I think there's a cultural and environmental influence. um, And overall, and this is a personal observation, a shift in respect for authority and leadership. Um, I've seen that. I think that there have been many social media posts about fear and fear drives people to make decisions. lack of education, you know, one celebrity might make a claim about vaccines in general leading to certain medical diagnoses. So that causes fear within parents. Um, I think looking at all of that plays a role into it. And um, 
you know, there might be different cultural um, beliefs that now are more prevalent in our society. I agree with you. I'm very thankful my mom took me to get my vaccines and I'm a very um, strong advocate for my children getting vaccines. We just got our flu shot actually over the weekend, despite the kicking and screaming of an eight-year-old, he got his flu shot. So each family has to make the best decision for themselves. It's just so important that they have a trusted provider that they can discuss their concerns and that that provider is educated and confident in the recommendations that they're making. And if you have a good family uh, care physician, primary care physician, who will stay with you and your family for as long as you find their care to be helpful and beneficial over a period of years or even decades, that makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. And healthcare has certainly changed and you know, since you and I were younger, but we're very fortunate to live in a region where we have excellent healthcare providers who take great pride in their work and genuinely care about their patients. The study is titled Increasing Human Papillomavirus Immunization in the Primary Care Setting, and it was co-authored by Dr. Andrea Taylor, who is an assistant professor of nursing. It was published in The Nurse Practitioner, which is a peer-reviewed journal, academic journal. Dr. Taylor, thank you for being our guest today on MTSU on the Record. Thank you so much. My pleasure. We'll be right back. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Randy Weiler has the middle moment. Attention veterans and MTSU Blue Raider fans, Chelsea Floyd, MTSU Assistant Athletic Director for Marketing and Fan Engagement, provides details about the November 13th Salute to Veterans and Armed Forces football game. 
Middle Tennessee Athletics is honored to host the 39th Annual Salute to Veterans and Armed Services football game on November 13th at 2.30 p.m. against the FIU Panthers. This day is filled with events to honor and recognize our veterans, current service members, and their families. The event portion begins at 11 a.m. at the Veterans Memorial Service at Tom Jackson Building, recognizing 70 years of MTSU ROTC. After the memorial, veterans, current service members, and families are invited to attend a pregame picnic at the Hall of Fame building, where there will be complimentary food, tickets to the game, and entertainment provided by the Army Band. We will also hear from the 2021 recipient of the Dr. Joe Nunley Award. During halftime, all veterans and current service members are invited to participate in a halftime parade where we will recognize each branch of service. That's MTSU on the record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU On The Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.